well, I kind of agree with the consensus we have here that, that just having the meeting was a sort of mild success. It was almost, the, you know, a divorcing couple. If you can just get them in the room together to talk, then that's a kind of a minor, uh, you know, victory. Personal relations are very important in diplomacy, particularly superpower diplomacy. It isn't everything, especially for Joe Biden. He's in a situation where he will have a Republican House of Representatives. I, I wanted to emphasize, even though we talked about the good atmosphere between the two top leaders, their mm. personal relationship, and the overall success of this meeting. But I wanted to remind uh, our listeners that, mm. that uh, the two countries still very much in a severe uh, competition. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to Chat Lounge. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. In this edition of the show, we take a look at the meeting between Chinese President Xi Jinping and U.S. President Joe Biden in Bali, Indonesia. The meeting held on the sidelines of the G20 was the first face-to-face meeting between the two since Biden took office as U.S. President. Both said it was a candid conversation. After the meeting, how much optimism should we put on the prospects for an improving U.S.-China relationship? What issues can the two sides start to work on to manage their differences and competition? We answer these questions and more in this edition of our program. Joining me are David Moser, Associate Professor from Beijing Capital Normal University, Rick Dunham, Co-Director, Global Business Journalism Program, Tsinghua University, and Dr. Zhao Hai, Director of International Political Studies at National Institute for Global Strategy. A big welcome and thank you all for joining me uh, today for this discussion. Um, now, this meeting uh, between Chinese and American leaders received attention from global press, with some media even commenting that the importance of it may well exceed that of the G20 meetings themselves. Um, I mean, what's your view on this? Let me start with Rick. Uh, what's your view on this and why do you think there are there was so much anticipation on it? Well, there was so much anticipation because the relations have been at a low ebb, the lowest <laughs> point since Richard Nixon went to China mm. in 1972. And, uh, and, and so these two men knew each other, have known each other for decades. Uh, and the question was, uh, could they reset the relations? And I think I mean, the, the expectations were low, uh, but I think that what, uh, I mean, what happened is that they uh, have reopened lines of communication. Mm. There were no major agreements, no steps forward, but just the fact that they are talking and and talking in, a, in, in at least a neutral way, not an unfriendly way, is very good news. Mm. David, what what about you? What's your observation on this? Uh, well, yes, uh, after four, three, four years of COVID, it was uh, <laughs> a, a little bit reassuring to see these world leaders actually hobnobbing with each other, shaking hands in, in the same room. Mm. Uh, that, that was a positive point. I think the optics were very good. Uh, there's a wonderful f- set of photos of uh, Biden and Xi shaking hands. Oh, yes. With, mm. with, I would say smiles that, that looked actually very natural and, mm. and real. <laughs> I was surprised. <laughs> they, mm. were, they didn't seem forever. And I think mm. some of those photos got passed around Chinese uh, media as well. Mm. Uh, but I, I think probably one of the reasons people were paying so much attention to it was there's a kind of a keen sense of this current moment of being a, a, a turning point globally. Mm. 
uh, with so many uh, outstanding uh, disasters imminent, COVID, the Ukraine war environment, and the terrible climate disasters, economic conditions. And you had these two world leaders who um, are just coincidentally both in sort of the same uh, sort of situations. She having just uh, won his his another five year term, mm-hmm. uh, which means he was securely you know planted in that position and could represent China uh, definitively. And Biden, who I guess you could say he just won a victory, or maybe he just avoided a disaster <laughs> with the midterms, <laughs> right? Uh, of of coming out as seeing as being a very strong president and and leading uh, a party and having the wind at his back. So I think. There's a, a great a crying need for China and the U.S. to cooperate, and I think the world could see that, in fact, they were poised to be able to make some great changes if they if they can indeed cooperate. Mm. Well, Dr. Zhao Hai, can you speak a little bit more on uh, the Chinese leader coming to this meeting after the 20th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party? I mean, uh, does that um, add even more anticipation to this meeting, do you think? Yeah, I think uh, the mm-hmm. 20th Party Congress is a very important uh, meeting uh, for the party and for China uh, because for the next decade, um, Chinese will march on a new journey and try to uh, you know, acquire a bigger role in the world mm-hmm. as well as developing domestic economy into a, a stronger socialist state. Um, and also because of this meeting, uh, President Xi consolidated uh, himself politically mm. and having the support of the whole country. So he's coming into this meeting, this bilateral summit, uh, from a very strong position. And I think American side understood that. And that's why I think uh, President Biden decided to have a good meeting with him. And mm. because prior to this meeting, the U.S. side has asked for this meeting for quite some time. Mm. And because of the damage done by uh, the Pelosi visit to Taiwan, right. uh, this meeting was determined pretty much the last minute because overall Chinese side believes that uh, we need to create a better environment for the both leaders to meet. And so far, the U.S. side continuously try to uh, you know, bring bad news to this uh, bilateral relationship and mm. continue to try to pressure on China. Mm. Uh, however, after the party's 20 Congress, uh, I think the U.S. side tried to calm the waters and uh, gradually bring in uh, a better atmosphere that created, uh, you know, this uh, uh, possibility of uh, the two uh, top leaders meeting with each other. Mm. Overall, I agree with uh, Rick and David. I think this meeting is very successful. There's a global consensus on this. I look mm. at uh, most of the Western media. They, they, they all say that this is a good thing mm. to stabilize the most important bilateral relationship in the world. And moving forward, at least this is a good start, even though there's no like concrete deliverables out of this meeting. Mm. Well, I think you three have all agreed that this is a very constructive meeting. And uh, although they left the meeting without maybe concrete steps, but rather it is a very good start for the two sides to carry on conversation. I'm sure all of you have uh, read the statements from both sides and uh, probably, like I did, <laughs> have uh, you know poured over the Twitter updates uh, of the meeting from uh, you know reporters who were uh, on site but Rick do you think we are paying maybe too much attention to the details and to the to these very small things of the meeting in, instead of seeing the whole picture of a very difficult uh, future maybe for US China relations well I think we're, we're mm-hmm. looking for any kind of signal <laughs> and that is that aside I mean what I always like to do after a meeting like this is look at the readouts mm. of both sides because that's where I see the substance mm. and the propaganda for 
for domestic political purposes. And the differences I saw, you know, to go with all the positive things we've been talking about that are undoubtedly true, mm. um, is uh, that the Chinese readout uh, focused on some of the things that uh, Joe Biden said about Taiwan privately, mm. you know, guaranteeing the five no's, where the U.S. readout was was very different on the same thing, you know, mm. with nuance. And the other on the, the American side talked about uh, Xi Jinping speaking against the use of nuclear weapons or threats of nuclear weapons in Ukraine. Mm. And that was not in the Chinese readout. So uh, I think at the same I, I think we can read into that some of the domestic uh, political tensions on each on each side where they did not put it in the readout, even though uh, there were blunt discussions. I, I think both both sides uh, said that. And that's also good. We have to be able to talk about differences as well as things that we agree on, mm. uh, like like working on climate change, for example. Right. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. David, and then overall, do you think both sides left the meeting where their respective set goals achieved? Well, I kind of agree Mm. With the consensus we have here that, that just <laughs> having the meeting was mm. a sort of mild success. I mean, that was, you know, it was almost, the you know, a divorcing couple. If you can just get them in the room together to talk, then that's a kind of a minor, uh, mm. you know, victory. Uh, so I, I, I think that um, I was I was I was struck by the fact that both of them talked several times and mentioned that that China and the U.S. needed to cooperate because this is what the world expects of us. Mm. I thought I think that was a kind of a great uh, a consensual point to the whole me- to the whole uh, meeting that sort of uh, mm. you know that's that sort of overshadowed some of the other things is that they both are both countries are are very keenly aware of their role geopolitically and how important it is that they get along. Mm. So that that was very an optimistic sign for me the fact that they both see themselves as being engaged in something for which they have global responsibility and I thought that was very interesting. I think. Uh, mm. She wanted to do to, to draw some lines, and I think he did very well. I mean, mm. or at least he did more so than than Biden did. <laughs> he certainly defended the Chinese system. Uh, he he uh, again clearly laid out the red lines with Taiwan and other issues. And I think that in some sense, I think part of his goal was not just to talk to the United States, but it was also meant for the entire world to sort of present China's position a little more explicitly for for those. Uh, in the media, uh, Biden, uh, I think, uh, came with less of less of a hard and fast agenda or a set of uh, of goals. He mm. basically came uh, to express willingness to cooperate, uh, to compromise, and so mm. on, and also to defuse some fires or defuse some bombs that he set off <laughs> by his talk about Taiwan and other things that he said. Biden is great because, in a certain way. Uh, in a way, it's very dangerous for a diplomat to be the way he is, which is he's, he's, mm. he speaks off the cuff. He doesn't really <laughs> censor himself. Mm. But on the other hand, uh, it's kind of refreshing. And I think it lays bare, uh, you know, sort of the confusion and the sort of the, the tension between the various positions. And I think if I were a leader like Xi Jinping, I would kind of uh, find that, I don't know, sort of mm. oddly, uh, oddly constructive and helpful to have such a transparent adversary so mm. you know all, overall i think that um that the the that the basic meaning of the meeting which is just to get them in the same room and to express willingness to go forward was was the main subtext that i think underlied the 
the whole meeting was the most important aspect in some sense. Mm, well, indeed. Now, uh, Dr. Zhao Hai, what's your, what's your view? Um, do you think the both sides, I mean, left the meeting with their goals, their their set goals um, achieved? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, mm. um, if you look at the readouts and compare the two, mm. uh, Chinese readouts about uh, uh, twice, actually three times longer than the American uh, readout Indeed. in English. Um, and that means that the Chinese side is more willing to expose what's being talked about behind the closed door. And also Chinese side expressed uh, very clearly uh, that the Chinese side is not going to challenge or change uh, international uh, system or challenge American uh, leadership in a, in a way, um, and also will not interfere into uh, U.S. domestic affairs, which uh, some of the uh, irresponsible U.S. politicians trying to accuse China of. Mm. Um, but also China is willing to um, state very clearly how many no's. Actually, the U.S. side up- upgraded five no's to, to nine mm. uh, <laughs> no's. Uh, that that uh, you know, shows that clearly the U.S. side is eager to express their concern about uh, the Taiwan issue, they're trying to calm down the situation and also promise Chinese side that they will not uh, step across the red line. So that's reassuring and that's good. Uh, if you read the American side, mm. of course, uh, you know, concerned about their domestic, uh, uh, you know, backlash or concerned about potential Republican attack, mm. uh, the U.S. side decided to not to show those contents and the uh, and focused on. Uh, uh, some of the criticism that the uh, U.S. side has always had on China. Mm. Uh, but also, even though, even that, you know, uh, differences, the U.S. side still emphasized the, the commonality between the two sides and the areas uh, that both sides could work t- uh, uh, together on because it's a strategic meeting. So mm. there's no uh, specific uh, agreement. However, uh, because the two teams start to work with each other, we should expect in a short uh future, mm. there will be uh, deliverables, and particularly after, you know, uh, uh, Secretary uh, Blinken's visit, re- uh, you know, uh, planned uh, visit, visit, visit <laughs> planned visit, yeah, mm-hmm. for the next, uh, uh, in the next month, and, and I think there will be there will be outcomes from that. Well, maybe I think we should give, uh, you know, the diplomats from both sides a round of applause because I think we have come really a long way for the past few years against the background as, as such as all of you have mentioned. The the war in Ukraine, the energy and food crisis, inflation and inconvenience that's brought by COVID-19. Another thing is that we all know that two leaders have spent time together considerable time together uh, before either of them became um, presidents. Um, for our listeners who are not uh, probably not so familiar with this, so during Biden's getting to know you trip to China in 2011, the two leaders shared a marathon of meetings and meals in Beijing and also Chengdu. Uh, they also took a trip uh, deep into the mountains of Sichuan province to visit a rural high school rebuilt after, you know, the Wenchuan earthquake. And then in 2012, uh, Xi Jinping paid a a reciprocal visit to the U.S. at the invitation of Biden, and who hosted him, Xi Jinping. Um, how much should we take, you know, these early experiences into account when we are holding really holding hopes that these two leaders can improve a very much deteriorating bilateral relationship? Uh, what about Rick? Uh, I think we should uh, take these into account a lot mm. uh, because. Personal relations are very important in diplomacy, particularly superpower diplomacy. The question is, 
Can you trust the person? Mm. Uh, the question is to be able to read between the lines of official statements uh, to see if you can do constructive things despite uh, government policy differences. And so I, I do think that that is very, very important. Uh, it isn't everything mm. uh, because especially for Joe Biden, uh, he's in a situation where he will have a Republican House of Representatives, and uh, chances are that he does not have control over Congress, just like he did not have control over Nancy Pelosi visiting <laughs> Taiwan. Um, he doesn't have control if the new Speaker of the House, the Republican, goes to Taipei. He doesn't have control over his opponents for president, like Donald Trump, who is running again, saying that China interfered in the 2020 uh, election uh, to hurt him uh, with no evidence, of course. Uh, and, uh, mm -hmm. and and so I, I, I think it's important that there is trust that Joe Biden is at least trying to keep the relationship uh, moving forward or away from from the low points uh, of the Trump administration and the early years of the Biden administration. Mm. I get the uh, the idea that early experiences, uh, impressions of each other, as well as trust that's already been built, matter a lot in these uh, meetings. But um, David, these two leaders actually came to the uh, the table in Bali with their different missions. Let's put it that way. And sometimes a lot of these missions are in conflict with each other. How how do you view these um, the kind of uh, the balance that they have to make between the pr previous experience? and their missions? Well, uh, you know, mm. one of the great things, as Rick just pointed out, is the, the advantage of having uh, a long relationship so that you, you actually know the other person and, and can trust them. Uh, there's a few things uh, mm. with Biden and she here. Uh, they not only understand each other or they've met a lot and they understand how the other person thinks, uh, but they also um, have had a lot of experience in their res respective administrations and uh, government mm. appar apparatuses uh, dealing with the other side on a diplomatic basis. Biden, you know, has gone through many administrations and been privy to lots of China information in in the White House and in the and uh, in Congress, um, and has mm. uh, basically uh, not only been f um, interacting with Xi through all this time, at least through the the, the 2000s, but he's also gone through these periods, the, the, the difference of the, the evolution of the U.S.-China relationship right. uh, from one of a sort of political engagement and sort of mutual uh, advantage due to China's cheap labor and mm. uh, the, 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 the huge amount of money that the U.S. companies were making off of China to this new China that, that has emerged under Xi Jinping, mm. uh, where, the, where the bilateral relationship is is much more, I would say, adversarial, much more in conflict, and uh, um, much less uh, to the mutual advantage in some ways, which is why this this notion of decoupling has happened and is so dis disturbing. So I think that that she very much understands that Biden is a uh, is uh, mm. a, a sort of a, a hostage or a victim of U.S. <laughs> politics. Mm. He's not free to say. Uh, to, to speak his mind freely, but uh, in public because he has these pressures that Rick just alluded to. You know, mm. You'll have a Republican uh, a House and you'll have a, a uh, electorate who is very, uh, very anti-China at the mm. moment. And mm. the same is true that Biden probably understands uh, what she's administration, what she, what she's uh, mm. uh, restrictions and what's, what she's 
the, the, the kinds of, of uh, steeplechases that he is negotiating. Mm. So I think those two things together give me cause that when the, if there is a conflict, especially an unexpected one, such as, God forbid, some kind of accident uh, in the South China Sea mm. with the with PLA ships or U.S. Uh, sh- you know airplanes or something mm. like that, which has happened before, re- remember, mm. that you need people that not only understand each other, but understand the kind of political environment that the other person is functioning under. Mm. And I think, I think that's really important in, in uh, bilateral relations, especially in crisis situations. Mm. Well, indeed. Uh, now, continue with our previous discussion. Let's take a look at, at the, you know, the issues as well as the developments after the meeting. Uh, now, Dr. Zhao Hai, um, we know that, you know, at the moment there are various issues uh, that, uh, you know, stand out as very critical for U.S.-China relations, trade, tech, uh, Taiwan, etc. Um, but uh, from the statements, uh, Dr. Zhao, what remarks from the two leaders stood out to you the most? Well, I think uh, mm-hmm. one thing um, after the meeting when uh, President Biden said to the press, that uh, he does not expect China to attack Taiwan immediately mm. uh, or anytime soon. So that's that's a good thing because that means the presidency convinced uh, President Biden uh, to actually fight back against uh, uh, rumors and many uh, you know unfounded accusations that somehow China is preparing a military invasion, regardless of. Uh, the uh, the movement of the Taiwan pro-independence forces. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a complete misinterpretation of uh, China's policy and also a sort of uh, uh, subjugating uh, U.S. policy to a more broader anti-China movement. Mm-hmm. So I think that's uh, one thing that stood out uh, very much to me, that both sides, at least on this uh, very issue, had agreement and had a uh, mutual understanding. Mm, and well, the other thing is that uh, mm. I, I wanted to emphasize, which is that even though we talked about that good environment atmosphere between the two top leaders, their mm. personal relationship, and the overall success of this meeting, but I wanted to remind uh, our listeners that, mm. that uh, the two countries are still very much in a severe uh, competition, this, this right. fierce competition mm. that uh, actually Biden mentioned in uh, his readout. And also the Chinese side realized that this is the uh, competitive relationship, even though China wants a, a different fundamental tone of this relationship mm. that is based on peaceful coexistence, mutual respect, and win-win cooperation. Mm. Uh, however, Chinese side also recognized, of course, competition exists, but we want this competition to be healthy. Mm. Right now, if you read the readouts and you look at the conversations, there are two important things missing mm. uh, from this conversation from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Number one, Number number one, other I mean, there's no mention of military to military communication, right. because after uh, Pelosi's visit, if you remember the countermeasures from China, there are eight countermeasures, mm-hmm. and half of that is about cutting ties uh, with the U.S. on the communications in terms of military to military, male to male communication, and and during this meeting, there's no mention of that, and I think there are still very much a confrontational situation. Uh, along the Taiwan Street. Mm. And the second thing is that the confrontational uh, posture uh, from the U.S. side on Chinese uh, technology development, innovation right. technology development, is still very much going on. Mm. And right now, just right after the G20, there's new rumors coming out that the U.S. might put more Chinese companies onto the entity list in December. Mm. And they're, they're still trying to, I mean, right before the 20th Party Congress, the U.S. BIS came out 
uh, with the whole lot of uh, you know uh, export controls uh, on China's on chip making equipment towards China, mm. and now they wanted to add to that list. Right. So that means in all those areas, and particularly the, the areas that I mentioned in tech and military, mm. there's still mutual suspicion, distrust, and very much U.S. self-serving, uh, you know, uh, 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 policies trying to maintain its own dominance and hegemony in the world. Mm. Well, thank you for bringing these、uh, two things that you thought were missing in the readout.、Um, I think it is helpful for our discussion. Now you're listening to Chat Lunch. We're going to a short break. After that, we'll continue the discussion. I'm the senior research fellow of Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. My research area mainly focuses on Africa and the Middle East, of course, also including China's relation with that area. What today is the best window for us to know the world and to know China's relation with the world? Join me to tune in this wonderful program to know more about China and the world, and especially how China sees the world. I am Dan Wang, chief economist of Hansen Bank China. The world today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. Welcome back. You're listening to Chat Lunch. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. So, Rick, first, a word remarks stood out to you the most, and secondly. Uh, do you find you know the two things the the lack of、um, information on military and tech in the you know respective statements from the two sides?、Um, I mean, kind of worrisome for to you. I, I think I think it is、uh, reflective of the tensions that are there,、mm. uh, and I, I, I agree with、uh, Zhao Hai on the、mm. on the military side and on 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 Taiwan.、Uh, mm. What he said, I, I have a different perspective. On semiconductor controls and trade,、mm. um, I think that、uh, Donald Trump fundamentally reset the relationship between the countries as far as trade. I mean, for years,、uh, the United States has said that、uh, China's rules、uh, are protectionist and disadvantage、uh, international investment, international companies. Donald Trump started doing things that.、Uh, China and a lot of the rest of the world said we're protectionist and、uh, and, and violated international norms.、Mm. Uh, right now, we have to figure out how to get back to it so that we can have competition because it is going to be economic competition,、mm. but fair competition both ways. And yeah, I, I am concerned that there wasn't any public reference to that, but I am sure. I mean, I, I'm absolutely certain that there、mm. was private. Conversation. The question is now actions, and as <laughs> Joe, I said, we should look. We should look beyond rumors and let's see what happens 
uh, in coming months uh, about mm. entity lists, as they're called, uh, blacklists. Uh, mm. We sometimes, sometimes call them, and and, and international uh, attempts to uh, rein in either China or uh, or uh, American uh, companies trying to do business in in China. Mm. Um, the the other thing I think that is really uh, important that. Uh, that, that we uh, need to look at is Ukraine. This is something that really wasn't talked about mm. uh, other than mentioned by, by the U.S. of, of nuclear. Uh, can do anything to help end the invasion and roll things back uh, so that we have peace there because that has contributed so much to the global economic uh, problems of inflation uh, and food shortages, particularly in developing nations. So I think that that was another that I I would like to see. Can Xi Jinping do anything to influence uh, President Putin uh, to to get him to pull back uh, troops and and to have some sort of agreement to roll back that war? Mm. Uh, David, um, what what's what were you most impressed about uh, the, the the information that's coming out of the meeting? Uh, well, obviously, I, I do mm. agree with Rick. I think that 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 part of the uh, the, the strategy of the dialogue was mm. was precisely to do what what China has been talking about, mm. which is to uh, to sort of guide the discussion to to points of mutual disagreement, uh, mutual agreement, mm. and possibility for cooperation. And these are, you know, Taiwan is a, is an enormous sticking point and has become much and much, uh, you know, inflated and um, uh, it's become much of much more of a sore point mm. in the last few years. And I would say in large part due to the last president we had, mm. Donald Trump. <laughs> it's it's true that, that that Trump did so much, uh, not just to to uh, to undermine U.S. politics and uh, global alliances with the United mm. States, but Trump did a lot to damage uh, U.S.-China relationships, not in not just in trade, but also in terms of general uh, antipathy towards towards each other. Mm. Trump is an incredibly divisive figure, and I, I think a lot of this one of the subtexts that you don't hear explicitly mentioned because no one wants to mention his name, obviously, and it's it's pointless anyway because he's gone <laughs> at the time being. Mm. But that but that there was there was so much about uh, the last presidency. That uh, sort of uh, com- completely fractured lots of long-standing um, bilateral arrangements that we had with China, even at even at the uh, at the height of some tensions mm. at various points during the 21st century, early 21st century. Um, so, in a certain sense, the whole thing, the whole agenda, is in repair mode at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so many things have been damaged. If mm. you look at look at the contrast between this sort of uh, very amicable uh, meeting um, in Bali. To the uh, the meeting last year in Alaska, mm. I think it was in March of 2021, mm-hmm. where uh, the the animosity and vitriol was was so violent they almost came to blows, uh, <laughs> shouting and screaming at each other. And mm. this this was taken at the time that was probably the nadir of uh, <laughs> U.S. China at that point mm. because not only were they they were talking to each other, but they were more like talking past each other, were screaming at each other. Mm. This is so much better than that, and I I think um, that the topics that were discussed and were not discussed were also, or at least were not expounded upon, was a strategic move as well mm. in order to uh, keep uh, in what in Chinese they call zheng neng liang, right? Right, positive, positive energy. 
energy. Mm-hmm. We want we need more more positive energy in the bilateral relationship. So let's let's talk about what we can talk about and, and avoid uh, talking too much about what's going to just only result in an argument. Mm-hmm. Um, John, I say that yes. actually uh, mm-hmm. one more thing I missed uh, mm-hmm. uh, talking about. You know, in both uh, readouts, there's one thing that stands out very much. That is uh, both sides. Uh, believe that people-to-people exchange is very important to find a bilateral relationship. Indeed. That means the friendship between the two peoples are very much the foundation for the political, uh, sort of improving political relations. And without, uh, you know, peoples loving each other and appreciating each other, it's mm. very difficult for the politicians to move forward and repair <laughs> or improve this relationship. So mm. that's well, uh, the thing that I want to add. Mm. Now, uh, also... Liu Kun, can yes. I just add on to that? Yes, a little yes, bit? please, please. For, for me, I understand why what's first and foremost about some of, of the problems here are geopolitical ones. We mm-hmm. were talking uh, about uh, Taiwan, we're talking about recessions and all these sorts of things. But what Zhao Hai said right now is so true. And me, as an educator, someone who's been here a long time and has been mm-hmm. highly invested uh, in, in academic exchanges and cultural exchanges. Um, for me right now, there's a, there's a huge crisis that's kind of been put on hold. We don't talk about too much because it seems like it's a kind of a luxury with all the with all the COVID issues. Mm. But the fact the fact is that we the academic exchanges that used to be so important to to going forward in mutual understanding have basically stopped mm. and uh, have have no you know uh, imminent tr- choice uh, chance in the, the next few years of coming back to anything like it was before. All co- all sorts of exchanges at various universities, overseas study, study abroad programs. Confucius Institutes all shut down mm. from both sides. This 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 very which I think is the core of a good bilateral relationship is the relationship people to people. Mm. Uh, that's a that's also a looming crisis, and that's mm. something that was not addressed at all. Perhaps because it seems like a smaller problem, but I think it's also something that needs to be addressed. Mm. Yes, I I think uh, it's it's such a pity, you know the. The kind of uh, communication between academics as well as you know students and teachers uh, between the two sides have somewhat declined. Let's put it that way. But uh, still going back some point, uh, Rick mentioned earlier about um, not resorting to nuclear power. That's uh, not acceptable. Now, Zhao Hai, do you think uh, how how do you see this kind of statement on the war in Ukraine that's coming out from this meeting? And uh, do you think do you feel like uh, China's uh, influence in this issue may be somewhat being overhyped? Yeah, I, I think uh, mm. first of all, China's position on Ukraine is very clear. Mm. Uh, China wants the war to end, uh, wants the negotiation to happen as quick as possible, and mm. have a political settlement settlement after this. So uh, China's position is consistent. And also regarding the uh, nuclear war, uh, at the beginning of this year, if you remember, all the powers agreed to a statement that said right. that the nuclear war could not be fought and could not be won. Mm-hmm. And China's position, as well as Russia's position, including, you know, and also including all those Western countries, agree on this. So I don't think in this statement or outside of this statement, China's position is anything uh, different. Mm. And also, I think I wanted to remind uh, everyone that, that Russians also said most recently that they will not uh, use n- nuclear weapons in Ukraine. Mm. Uh, and so their nuclear weapons is only to defend its own country. So I, I think really very much this uh, nuclear war issue in Ukraine is very much hyped by some of the Western media trying to say uh, or to, to, to paint a picture that 
Russian military is suffering such a loss mm. that they need to absolutely resort to a nuclear threat to support themselves. Mm. I, I don't think Russia is at that point, and I don't think even uh, if Russia suffer huge military loss in Ukraine, that they would resort to uh, using uh, nuclear weapons, particularly tactical nuclear weapons that people are talking about, because mm. this is very much dangerous and could lead to the end of the world. Mm. Um, that, that said, I think um, China, again, uh, using this bilateral meeting, as well as G20 to state again, that China wants to, uh, not only China, but also in cooperation with other countries to push for a uh, negotiation uh, that could happen uh, soon, and mm. uh, also uh, trying to find a political uh, uh, resolution to this current crisis. Um, just, uh, I think, a couple of hours ago, um, um, President Zelensky also said uh, that he would consider uh, trying to uh, find a way to start a negotiation. Mm. The Russian has expressed that uh, repeatedly. So I think uh, we're moving towards the negotiation and all sides, not just China, but also I think the U.S. Uh, and the West needs to reconsider its uh, equip, you know, military supply uh, mm. to the Ukrainians. And also the Ukraine government needs to think about exactly what they could achieve uh, on the battleground and whether or not at this point mm. they should use their military advantage uh, on the battleground to start the negotiation and try to uh, gain um, more, uh, not using bombs, but mm. using uh, diplomatic skills. Mm. So again, I think China could do, uh, China could do more, but mm. in, a, in a much more different environment, we need to have a truth, stop the war first. Mm. And then during the process of political negotiation, I think China will use its diplomatic um, uh, mm. capital and trying to, you know, push both sides to reach that agreement. Mm. Uh, also, you know, if you remember a couple of years back, the GCPOA, um, you know, the, the Iranian nuclear deal right. was uh, able to reach because China played a key role in bridging all sides together. Mm. So I think, yes, China could play a role, but, you know, it's not that somehow China can unilaterally pressure Russia to give in. Mm. Uh, on, on the contrary, China could play a better role when all sides sit down and, and trying to make concessions and trying to find a common ground. Mm. Well, willingness is indeed very important. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. About the meeting between Xi Jinping and Biden, one thing stood out to me uh, a lot is, you know, the the mention of uh, the differences, you know, how different the two countries are governed. Because um, in the West, in the past few years, we have been hearing theories about, oh, China is a systemic challenge to us, um, a systemic rival to us. So President Xi Jinping stressed the difference um, in this meeting. Uh, and uh, uh, he said things like uh, America has its own, has its democracy. China has its own democracy too, and is equally proud of it. Um, America has a capitalist uh, economy where China has a socialist market economy. He said one important principle in managing this bilateral relationship is to recognize and also respect these differences, not to force the same onto others or try to change others. Uh, Rick, how, how do you think of uh, the level of uh, recognition as well as respect from either side toward each other in this area? Well, first, I think mutual respect is absolutely essential. Mm -hmm. Just like uh, human exchanges uh, are essential, I think that you have to have that respect for 
uh, another system. Mm. Uh, at, at the same time uh, that, that the two leaders say that, there, there are difficult situations. Uh, the part of the American system is that you have the Speaker of the House of Representatives or the leaders of Congress mm. are not controlled by the president. And if they, and if they want to go to Taiwan, uh, the president can't say no. And so uh, there are going to be tensions because of that system. And you hope that the Chinese government does not overreact to things that the president has no control over. At the same time, the United States can say whatever it wants about uh, human rights, uh, freedom of speech, freedom of press. It's not going to uh, change the system in China. Mm -hmm. And so the United States is going to have to accept uh, that. I mean, you can you can make comments, but you cannot change the system. So that's what I think both sides have to uh, publicly uh, realize that while you can object to what the other side is doing, you have to respect the differences and not expect them to change fundamental parts of their of their systems, their political systems, most of all, uh, but to a degree, mm. um, ec the economic systems. Mm. Well, uh, David, uh, what's your thought on this? Yeah, well, you know, I think one of the this highlights a fundamental difference in the way that the Chinese think of how to do how to conduct diplomacy in the way the United States has tended to. Mm. Uh, the Chinese government, as we've said before, uh, they tend to sort of gravitate or to focus on points in which there could be consensus and try to start there mm. and work on those points without highlighting the, the differences and to sort of respect the differences and not highlight them. Unfortunately, or maybe to their credit in some cases, you know, the United States uh, sort of negotiating mentality is completely different. <laughs> we want to start out by highlight, highlighting the points of conflict. Let's deal with those first, and mm. then we can uh, then we can hug and and do things. Mm. Actually, I think in this day and age, and especially with U.S. China, I think it's actually more reasonable and more productive to to do to to do it the Chinese way, which mm. is, you know, don't criticize aspects that you know are not going to change. Mm. Um, and China is well aware that there's been a decade decades of talk about changing China peaceful evolution and you know if we just mm. keep engaging they will change they're not going to change and that's what uh, you know xi jinping underscored mm. so fundamental issues such as the governmental system is is not going to undergo any any change so you're better off uh working with the with the with the areas that can you know produce results rather than just you know bashing your head against a wall mm. the other thing Biden, you know, m mentioned that there, this is not another Cold War and we don't need another Cold War, which is true. And it's good that he said that. And that's we certainly want to avoid that. But in a sense, in a certain sense, it is a kind of Cold War in that I think both sides see this as a kind of test of the resilience and the legitimacy of their governance system. Mm. Now, China is very proud of its governance system because it's amazing results, incredible results in the last 20 years. Uh, Biden, of course, and, and the United States is proud of its system because it's been validated and it's had great success in the mm. 20th century uh, in many ways. So this is a standoff of two different ways of, of looking at the world and how mm. to govern. And uh, I think that probably we should give up on one, of, one or the other winning and kind of consign ourselves that, the, that both of these systems are going to coexist in the, mm. in the global situation for a long time and we better just get used to it and see what you know what we can accomplish anyway well that is certainly the hope now uh Zhao Hai, what do you think how do you view this kind of um, respect a recognition of each other's which is different unless we can live with that 
Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, each other uh, have differences, that's for sure. And mm. uh, both sides need to respect each other's, you know, different ideology, different uh, political system, different culture, civilization. There are so many differences between the two countries. Uh, if, you know, you only focus on differences, not, you know, common uh, things, then you would fall into uh, the so-called Cold War, uh, you know, mentality or even worse. You, mm. you go to very antagonistic mood. Uh, however, I want to emphasize one thing, that when two people, when two countries even, uh, get in contact with each other and communicate, exchange ideas, there's always change. It's not like nothing changed or Chinese system is not changing or U.S. is not changing. Actually, during the contact with the, the two countries with, with each other, there's a lot of change happening, mm. and particularly in China. For instance, there's the law enforcement exchanges uh, between the two countries. Mm. And uh, China, in the past 20 years, achieved a lot of progress in terms of uh, its jail system, its uh, you know, labor reform system. And uh, you know, it, it uh, respects much more uh, the human rights uh, and also improved its own human rights record on um, many of those uh, legal system um, uh, you know, characteristics. Mm. So I think uh, it's, it's wrong to think, that's why I think uh, in the United States, the argument against engagement is wrong because the uh, their argument is that uh, the the engagement of the past 40 years didn't produce anything, or China is still very much a Marxist-Leninist society. Mm. That's not that's not completely true, you know. So mm. I, I think we need to focus on the positive side and how uh, the society is affecting each other and learning from each other is actually actually a good thing and improving each other's livelihood is. Uh, you know, governance capabilities uh, and also helping each other to achieve better uh, innovative capabilities. Mm. So that being said, I think uh, still mm, those areas that uh, remain uh, different, whether or not we need to use uh, Cold War to resolve that. Uh, in the U.S., I think, if you remember, Foreign Affairs published an article a couple of months back. Mm. Uh, there are scholars talking about two different Cold Wars. One is the typical Cold War that happened between the United States and Soviet Union. Mm. And when President Biden said that he does not want to repeat or going back to a new Cold War, he meant that China and the United States should not enter into that kind of nuclear confrontation or, you know, this, this sort of military competition arms race mm. for the Cold War during that time and, and, you know, ideological confrontation. But I think in a way that the U.S. Uh, act actions and, and particularly their activities following the Cold War strategy means that the Biden administration and particularly the, the Washington strategic circle still want a sort of Cold War uh, in a minor sense. That means that they will see old domain competition as a sort of a war uh, to the level of war. It's just that there's no open fire. Mm. So the case that I used um, just now uh, during, uh, within for, uh, for instance, the semiconductor, and also in other areas, there, in cyber, in space, and mm -hmm. in uh, a lot of other domains, the U.S. is, is considering that these are all uh, very much a, a domain of competition, and they all wanted to win or predominant, achieve predominant position in those domains. Mm -hmm. So that means still this kind of, it, it's very hard to distinguish at a certain point whether or not the U.S. wanted to have a fair and healthy competition in those areas, or they just wanted to use Cold War strategy uh, to repress and, and, you know, contain China. So that's why, from China's perspective, sometimes it's very confusing mm. uh, whether or not uh, w from which way the U.S. is coming. 
and whether or not we should uh, you know, uh, consider the U.S. still has a goodwill. So that's why it's so difficult to establish trust between mm. the two sides. Well, this is certainly new to me. Now, Rick, uh, how would you respond to the second kind of uh, Cold War way of thinking, let's put it that way, that Zhao Hai just mentioned? Do you think... Um, the United States um, policymakers or pundits or even press are kind of uh, falling into that kind of way of thinking unconsciously. Uh, yes, and I think that word that you used is just the right one, unconsciously, <laughs> because I I, 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 I think Zhao Hai explained it I mean, very well. Mm. Uh, I, but I, I mean, I'm a believer. Maybe it's because I'm I, I'm American and have been brought up in the economic system. I mm. believe in competition. Mm. I think. Free competition or fair competition, however you want to define it, uh, would be good for the world right now uh, to to have a race for the best green energy products, uh, to to have a race for technology. Uh, it usually means better better products, lower prices, more availability. Mm. But that that is using the definition of fair. And if we are if we think of this rather than than competition. Uh, that benefits everybody in the world, I mean, starting with consumers, uh, with a war, a, a, an economic war where our side has to win, whoever our side is. Uh, it's bad. And mm. so I, I think that we have to be cautious about uh, use, using using it for using economics for political purposes. I don't have a good answer to this because <laughs> uh, both countries have legitimate complaints about the other, what the other country mm. has done. Uh, and I think having, having talks is the best way to deal with it, having open communication. But I think having, having these kinds of academic exchanges that we're talking about, where you just get this all out, mm. out there mm. uh, and possibly come up with some, some solutions that policymakers can implement later, would be a great idea. I, mm. I do think that academic exchanges of uh, of innovators from both countries uh, would 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 be, would be a a good parallel start to go uh, with with sort of the economic cold war that Zhao Hai is talking about. Mm. Now, David, I also want your thoughts on this and. Uh I think um, up till now, we probably all of us can agree that you know, competition is inevitable. But the only thing is that how do you manage and regulate that? Um, and what's your thought on that? Well, I agree that competition is a good thing, and it can. And actually, you know, it it, it has had uh, very uh, great effects. You know, in the past uh, twenty years, mm. the problem. I think one of the problems at this point is that. Um, the the level of engagement and the and the le- the level of um, uh, sort of uh, importation and and uh, you and uh, what's the word mm. sort of acquisition of the other side's ideas and technology and mm. values is pretty much one sided or at least it's very lopsided mm. and that and that is to say that uh, China has actually borrowed uh, a lot more from from the West and from the United States. Well, let's just talk about the United States. A lot more from the United States than the United States has borrowed and learned from China. Mm. Uh, and in fact, you know, for a very long time, the the the, the relationship was really one of sort of mutual profit, uh, albeit on you know different in different domains. Mm. Uh, but I I think that right now, you know, one of the problems of any kind of confrontation like this, where there's a cold war. And the result of a Cold War is this decoupling and this breaking off of contacts, as it was, you know, 
that's something that both Cold Wars have in common, you know, is, is that there's isolation and lack of information and direct contact. Mm. And right now, I think the problem with the U.S. is that China has become very successful and very formidable as a competitor at the very least, but certainly as an advers- adversary. Mm. And I think that the U.S., and that includes even at lower levels, at the populist level, we need to start looking at China and learning something from China mm. or taking lessons from China's experience instead of simply lecturing China about our experience and what and, and what we've learned. So I've even re- written articles about this, about the uh, information asymmetry between the two countries. Right. The, very, the fact that uh, Chinese, the average Chinese, but especially the elite, know much, much more about our system and our culture than we know about mm. theirs. And uh, that's dangerous in a Cold War situation, especially where, you know, judgments can be based on uh, they can, you know, lack of information or positive of information is bad enough. But misinformation is positively deadly. And mm-hmm. that's what we seem to have more and more of in the United States. Well, not to mention sometimes by the intentious uh, misinformation from uh, some uh, maybe ill-advised uh, politicians. One more question, practical question. So the two leaders agreed that uh, U.S. Secretary of State uh, Tony Blinken will visit China to follow up on their uh, discussions. And we mentioned that earlier. Blinken has a lot on his plate. Uh, uh, Zhao Hai, what issues do you think uh, will top his agenda when he eventually comes to Beijing? Well, um, there are a number of things, like you said, there's a lot to talk about, uh, mm-hmm. but the top priority is talk about the principles, uh, setting up uh, from the U.S. side what they talk about, uh, you know, the guardrails. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, of course, to, to talk about, you know, resumption of all kinds of mechanisms right. that already existed before. Of course, minor problems, including visas. Let's uh, end this conversation by saying that we hope that the two sides have uh, built a solid enough foundation for uh, diplomats from both sides to continue uh, carrying on with the work because uh, just too much is at stake. Um, You've been listening to Chat Lunch. We've been talking to David Moser, Associate Professor from Beijing Capital Normal University, Rick Donham, Co-Director, Global Business Journalism Program, Tsinghua University, and Dr. Zhao Hai, Director of International Political Studies at National Institute for Global Strategy. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Thank you for staying with me. I'll see you next week. Welcome. I'm Ilaf Elard economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business, and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. Hi. I'm Einar Tangen, a political and economic analyst and senior fellow at the independent Taiher Institute. World Today is news without the hype and business commentary that is informed and up to date, presenting the facts and asking incisive questions. So join us if you are someone who needs to know what is happening in China as it is happening.